MyMac Podcast number 60. This week, Tim and Chad talk to our London Bureau Chief, David Cohen. The next generation of radio, it's the MyMac.com Podcast. Podcasting from the MyMac.com studios, it's your hosts, Tim Robertson and Chad Perry. I'm Chad Perry, and this is the one-year anniversary of the MyMac.com podcast. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been a year already from my feeble, uh, feeble-minded attempt to start a podcast a year ago. I don't think it was feeble-minded. I think it was, you know, it showed some foresight. Yeah, well, <laughs> if that's what you want to call it. Uh, we're actually, we have a guest this time once again. Yep. We've got David. Hi, everyone. Hey, David. Hi, David. We are joined by a guest, what is it, about 3,000 miles away? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All the way from, where exactly are you located? I live in Manchester, it's about 250 miles north of London. So we have our London correspondent (laughs) with us. (laughs) Our UK correspondent. Our UK, I guess that would probably be more, um, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because he's technically not in London, and if we call him our London correspondent, that means he has to drive to London to do the podcast. And <laughs> I do a fair amount of work in London, to be fair. Um, for those who have been listening for the, the MyMac.com podcast for a while, uh, Chad and I aren't the only ones to do a podcast here. We also have a somewhat regular podcast from David, and yep. I, I believe you've done two of them now, if I'm not mistaken. That's right, and I'm working on the third. Hey, hey. Well, this Excellent. could technically be the third, because you're here with us this time around. Okay, I'll chalk that one up. <laughs> so, um, explain the Mac scene in the UK. Is it is it as big in the UK as I read about, or is it more subdued, do you think? I think there's, there's two types of people over here. There's people who've never heard of Apple, and there are people who are really into Apple. The, the crossover, is, I think, is certainly moving. I was in the Apple store here in Manchester this morning and it was absolutely crazy in there. Um, in fact, when I was paying for some goods, there was somebody stood next to me at the counter who was saying to the, the girl behind the counter, she said, I don't know how you can work in here because it's so crazy. So the, it's definitely on the up and up. Um, there is a hardcore of people who've always been into Apple for like a long time, you know, for the last 10, 15 years. But, um, the, you know, the switch is definitely happening. You can see it happening all around. Do you think most of that is being... I mean, are most of the people who are in those stores there for iPods or are they actually there for true Macintosh computers? I think, you know, people talk about the halo effects. I think a lot of people do walk through the door to look at the iPod stuff, but once they see the displays of um, of the Macintoshes, then they become really interested in that as well. Uh, certainly, I've, I've been evangelizing to people for the last six months or so that my Apple experience has been very positive and whenever you actually so, show somebody a machine and actually show them running uh, OS X and the, the applications that come with the uh, computers they kind of really get turned onto it very quickly so I think you know the, the retail stores are probably a good strategy for getting people in and you know, showing them the whole of the Apple product line rather than you know saying it's just more than the iPod So you think the, uh, the actual Apple stores having a lot to do with the success there or do you think it's more of the marketing of the iPod itself. Well, I, I, obviously, the iPod raises the Apple brands in people's, um, you know, people's knowledge. And when then they see the computers, they go, 
I'm sure a lot of them go, hey, I didn't realise Apple did computers as well, and they have a look at them. The fact that the computers themselves are also really well designed, really good to look at, and run great software just um, you know helps strengthen the whole Apple story. Now, uh, what sold you on switching? I remember uh, we got a oh the old a reader got, feedback. Yeah, reader feedback or an MP3 from you originally. Well, he sent a an an, an actual email. Yeah. And I wrote back said, you know, this would work really good as an MP3. Mm-hmm. Hint, hint, twist yeah. the arm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and I sent that straight back to you. Well, what happened with me was I've been looking at um, getting away from Windows for a while. I mean, I, mean, I, I work as an IT consultant, so I, I see Windows systems all the time. I have to use one for work. Uh, I had several Windows computers at home, and my wife was always complaining to me that the computer was slow, crash, um, she would have viruses, she would have spyware. And I was spending a lot of time sorting that out. And at the same time, I was doing the same on my own machines. And, um, you know, you've only got a limited amount of time to when you're at home to spend with your family and do the things you want to do. And you don't want to be sat there working on computers all the time. So uh, I thought to myself, well, I'll have a look at these Apple machines. Um, I'd seen the launch of the Mac Mini and um, Keynote. I'd picked that up on the Internet. And, you know, I sort of started to realise that maybe Apple was something I want to have a look at. And I managed to grab hold of a titanium power book off eBay for a relatively cheap price, about £250, mm. which is probably about $400, $500, something like that. Yeah. And when I got the machine and loaded, it was running Panther at the time, and started loading software into it, I was just amazed that the machine at that time was about nearly five years old, just ran all the latest Apple software really, really well. And, um, you know, I really like the design, I like the way the operating system ran, and, and the more I used the machine, the more I, I, you know, I thought I really like it. And um, that was it, really. Once uh, once my wife saw the machine, and then she saw the fact that the Mac Mini, little tiny computer she could have on her desk, she went and bought one, <laughs> and that was... Uh, a good way for me to say, well, honey, if you're going to have one, I want one too. And so we sold all our PCs, and we've now gone completely Mac at home. I'm looking at your, uh, I guess you call it your biography on the MyMac.com archive page. Yeah. And it says that you have a dual 1.8 gigahertz, you still have the Thai G4 400, and two Mac yeah. minis. Between well, the two I, of I sold one of the minis. Oh, um, the Mini replaced my original PC, but when I got hold of the, uh, the G5 dual processor, then I decided to uh, sell the Mini and uh, just keep the, the G5 as my main machine. And your wife uses the other Mini? She, she uses the other Mini, yeah, that's right. And I use the PowerBook as my um, fallback machine, basically, or if I need to work away from home. not on, Obviously, if I'm working for my, for my employer, I have to use their Windows laptop they've given me mm. unfortunately but when an intel powerbook comes out that might change yeah i think that the dual booting machines are going to be a reality with with apple hardware really soon yeah in, in fact i saw a uh, upriced 15 inch powerbook this afternoon and i was very tempted to buy it but then i thought to myself well intel's coming along i should probably hold off for those really yeah and i think it's probably going to be sooner rather than later i also see that you have some newtons what are you doing with an old newton <laughs> The Newton is quite interesting. I'm, I'm a real eBay nut, and um, I've been using eBay for about three years now, and uh, I was looking for a electronic book reader. I'd had a couple of dedicated e-book readers and wasn't really very happy with them, 
And searching on the web, I found somebody saying, oh, you should you look at the Apple Newton. It's a great ebook reader. And um, once I got hold of a couple of Newtons and started playing around them, again, it was that Apple effect. I just thought these are so well designed and um, such a nice computing experience. And I kind of really got into them. I've got two or three of them knocking around the house now. And you, you're connecting them to the Power Macs and the... Yeah, I've got a Ethernet card for my uh, my e-mate, which is the main Newton I use nowadays because it has a keyboard on it, so I can use it for writing as well as um, you know just reading books and that sort of thing. And it's a it's a very nice hardy four pound laptop because it's all uh, plastic construction and um, you know the design's not quite nice. But I can put an Ethernet card in that and um, sync it to my uh, desktops over Ethernet, so that works really well. What are you using to sync? Is it a, a third-party type of software, or...? No, it's the old new connection utilities running under Classic on uh-huh. S9. Mm. I didn't even think that it would connect via Classic, but I, I guess it would. I don't see any yeah. reason why it wouldn't. <laughs> It's one of the things about the Newton is if you can put enough uh, effort and uh, time into it, you can even have it running on a wireless network and uh, you know browsing the internet. <laughs> it was really was a f-ing design considering it was it was built in the late nineties. Yeah, it's it's quite old by today's standards, but by the same token, if it ain't broke, yeah, absolutely. And people see me using the tester, and they're always attracted to it, saying, "Oh, what is it?" You know, the rules ask me on it. When I tell them it's uh, you know, nearly a ten-year-old Apple computer, they. I think we might have lost David. I can hear you still. Okay, yeah, okay. We're, you're chopping in and out a little bit. Okay. Okay, now it sounds better. Gotta love modern technology. <laughs> That's right. Um, I, I I really enjoyed your review. Um back in November on the new Dell UltraSharp 20-inch monitor. Um, Oh, my baby, which I'm looking at right now. (laughs) So you're running that on the G5? I have that on the G5. I'm I'm doing quite a lot of photography work, and um, using uh, Photoshop on that screen is just fantastic. Now, now doing a lot of photography work, are you interested in Aperture at all? Uh, Yeah, I've... I've been in contact with Apple to try and get a review copy, actually, and they're uh, still uh, promising that to me in the early in the new year. Yeah, Apple's fun to try to get uh, product review. Sometimes they're really, really quick. Sometimes not so much. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I have I have seen it running in the Apple Store, and um, I have a friend who has a copy, so I've had a, a little play around with it. But obviously, I want to get an official copy with a press pack to do a proper review before I uh, put pen to paper over it. Really, what are you doing in photography? Just, just for my own interest, really. I've always had an interest in photography, and with digital cameras, it now means that it doesn't matter how many bad pictures I take; I can always <laughs> compensate. Um, so I, I've got a digital SLR now, and I've been doing a uh, photography course one night a week in the evenings, and um, I'm just sort of playing around with it, really. Mm. Uh, you know, I just, as you were talking about that, I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool, because I know a lot of people um, are interested in photography and buying books mm-hmm. with really pretty pictures in it. Right. And you can use photo or iPhoto now to order books of your pictures. Right. Well... How about putting together a your own book within iPhoto and then ordering it, and then you could actually turn around and resell that book? I wonder if anybody's done that. Hmm. 
maybe yeah, sort of like a coffee table yeah. idea of your own portfolio of pictures. Yes, exactly. I wonder mm-hmm. if that would work. You hmm. can certainly do that with Aperture as well. I think they've taken my photo, um, the book idea, and expanded it, made it configurable. Hmm. I don't know if we lost them again or not. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. I'm sorry about that. It's just this... Uh, Skype's a little flaky. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it works great. Flaky. Yeah. Well, I, and I don't really fault the, the software. I mean, we're, we've got so many different things cobbled together here to do our podcast that I'm surprised that it works at all <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Uh, let's see. We're um, also recording this podcast on a Newton, so. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just showing off. <laughs> so, David, what do you what do you mostly do with your Mac? I mean, what's your routine with your Mac, I guess? Well, my routine, first thing in the morning, I'll come down and check my mail and check my eBay. Uh, hello? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was cutting out again. <laughs> no, it wasn't cutting out that time. Sorry about that. Except for the silence that the guest had there. Like. <laughs> okay. Uh, what I do is, first thing in the morning, I'll come down and check my mail and uh, check my eBay auctions. That's uh, a thing I do every day. Mm-hmm. And then I'll drop my uh, iPod into the cradle and download all my latest podcasts and um, that gives me something to listen to in the car on the way to work. And uh, that's pretty much it for the morning because I normally got to get out of here quite early. Do you use an I'll FM go through transmitter? The same. Y- yes, I do use a transmitter. They're, they're not actually strictly legal here in the UK, um, but I do use one because that's the only way I can realistically connect into my car stereo. They are illegal in the UK. That's right. We have these... Um, Laws going back to the Second World War, where, which make it illegal to transmit radio waves without a license in the UK, in case you might be a German agent. <laughs> <laughs> you're laughing, I'm serious. No, oh, I, no I know I, you're serious, but. You would just think, though, that, you know, 50 years later, 60 years later, that I, they would. Uh, I, I, heard, I heard something uh, a couple weeks ago that said they were looking at that and maybe thinking device is legal just for that reason, because people thought it was a little bit embarrassing. Well, we still have laws on the books that you you can't allow your horse to eat on Sundays on a street corner with a church on it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, some this old laws just tend to stay on the books and they never get you know changed because yeah. there's just no need to. But that's kind of yeah. a law because it, broadcasting via FM, you would think it's so common nowadays that why make it illegal to listen to your music in your car? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. In. A couple of times I've been driving down the freeway and I've I've heard a car go past the same band as me, so I know there are other people. Well, well of course they could be German spies. <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> so, what are you doing when you're getting home from work? You're sitting in front of the Mac. It's been a long day. You've already checked That's your right. email. You haven't. You didn't win that uh, auction on eBay for that third Newton. <laughs> or that latest European raffle thing that you get the spam about. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, what I normally do, I'm, in fact, I'm just looking at my dock now to see what applications I uh, I keep running in, down there. One one thing that I like to uh, spend a bit of time on, if I'm not doing the photography we talked about before, is um, a bit of sound editing. My wife is in a choir, and uh, I've been doing some work with them recently on 
taking some recordings of background music and mixing them in with people who've been singing so they can use those for rehearsals. So I'm a big fan of Soundtrack Pro, which I think is a really great sound program. Uh, and that's also the program I normally put the podcasts together in that I do for you guys nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works well. I've got yeah. Soundtrack Pro myself. I just use GarageBand um, because it's got such a low overhead as far as RAM and easeability. So it's just usually what we yeah. use. But I mean, we don't make these comp- these uh, podcasts very complex. If we did a music podcast, I would probably use something else. But um, uh-huh. for what we're doing, just voice, I think it's it's adequate. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of talking about sound, there's a lot of I. I Personally, what I'd like to see happen is more devices that allow you to get different sounds into your computer, say mm-hmm. old uh, records. Yeah. You know, those uh, streamlining the, the process to playing a record and recording it on your computer. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stuff that I'd really like to see happen sometime here in the near future. Yeah. I think there's just a lot yeah. of music that hasn't been digitized yet that it needs to be before we lose it. Yeah. Now, if we could find a w- if we could find a way to get those old wax recordings, <laughs> I've got four or five of those. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, no, but serious, you know, some of those uh, speeches with like Churchill mm-hmm. in World War II. If we can get those digitized and cleaned up, so it sounds like you were actually there listening to it, instead of the scratchiness that we mm-hmm. just accept. Well, it's old, so it's going to sound like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't have to anymore, and yeah. I'd really like to see that type of audio get cleaned up and saved digitally for future generations because I think mm. it's important. That's an interesting uh, topic. There's a museum not far from me, the National Film and Photography Museum here in the where one, one of the things they're doing is archival TV programs uh, and keeping those for future generations because there was an awful lot of TV that was thrown away in sixties and seventies, because they, you know, it, it was all on film. It was incredibly expensive to store, and um, these were things which people now want to look at again. Yeah, I heard yeah. the BBC is actually making a lot of their programming uh, freely available online. That you can download just a ton of mm. uh, older and newer BBC programming. And uh, that's right. Th- I think that's fantastic. I that wish great. more of. You know, it's great that you can go and buy Knight Rider on iTunes now, but, you know, <laughs> why, why can't I get on the net and and go to, I don't know, whoever had the, the Jack Benny show? Mm-hmm. You know, something of that magnitude. And, and download and watch an old variety show from the 50s. Yeah. Or, you know, um, because that's part of our culture, that's part of our heritage, and there's just no way to see that now. But I think the infrastructure and the bandwidth is available to make that stuff available. The problem is the companies that still own the rights to that all think that there's monetary value and they're just not going to give it away. Yeah. You know, that's I think that's where the problem is, that too many people want to make a quick buck off of this stuff, and I think that hurts us in the long run. We need more freely available content. Like a podcast. I guess, yeah. Yeah, the I guess the other problem is that a lot of these companies feel that if they give away the old stuff, then people will expect them to start giving away the newer stuff as well. And um, maybe they don't want to establish a principle that um, you know some stuff is acceptable to be given away at, at a very low or or you know nominal fee. 
Yeah, there, there's something to that. I, I think that it's it comes more down to there, there's nobody in the industry. I don't think that that looks at history and sees it for what it is. They mm-hmm. look at it and see dollar signs, and that's the only thing they're concerned about. So you would so would you like propose some sort of copyright law that mirrors like existing patent laws where you get to keep it? No, I don't think it has to fall into any kind of a law. I think that it needs to be. I think this is an initiative that. Uh, broadcast companies worldwide should agree upon themselves and say, you know what, if something is X... It, I understand if they don't want to give Knight Rider away. Mm-hmm. Okay? But why not an archive of every single um, news broadcast? I mean, that would be great for students. Say you want to go back and you want to look at the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. You can literally pull up clips of the evening news mm-hmm. when that was going on. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I think would just be fantastic to have yeah. access to of course we do need a way to to be able to search for it and keyword it and all that which yeah. would be a nightmare because there's no inherent metadata in those old broadcasts somebody mm-hmm. would, would literally have to listen to it and either type a t- transcript or at least keywords to make it searchable yeah but i think that's what we need absolutely i i would love that i, I think with historical events Whenever you see like a documentary on the Discovery Channel or National Geographic about something that happened 20, 30 years ago, that documentary will reflect the um, views of the people who made the documentary rather than the views of the people who were watching that event unfold in front of them at the time. It would be great to go back and see the actual news broadcasts and see the comments of the people as they saw those images and events uh, at the time rather than something that's filtered through 30 years of, of historical analysis. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and and unfortunately, I there are some um, outlets that I mean PBS, for instance. If you go to PBS dot org, they've got a lot of their older content searchable and freely downloadable. Mm-hmm. But if you go to CBS dot com or CNN dot com, you're not going to find that. Yeah. And, and it's and there's a different philosophy there. One is ostensibly for the public good. They're providing content that's free um, for the public good, for educational or whatever. And mm-hmm. it can be entertainment as well. And then you have a corporate entity whose only goal is to make their sh- stockholders happy. And they don't care about historical. Mm-hmm. They don't care about archival. They don't care about any of that kind of thing. Just the almighty buck, the almighty dollar sign, mm-hmm. the almighty pound or the euro or whatever it is. And... You know, I, and I'm not talking about just American companies here. I'm talking about all over the world. I mean, wouldn't it be just fantastic to see old news broadcasts from, say, the Soviet Union in the mm-hmm. '70s, and be, be able to compare that to what we're witnessing nowadays? I think that would be fantastic, and I just don't see it ever happening, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I, I well, it might happen. I, I can see it eventually happening. I don't know if the Smithsonian's got anything going with that, but I know that they were doing something with like old recordings, trying to digitize them and get them in a library. Um, there was a article, but that was audio. I thought. Well, there's an article that I read, uh, and I'm going to have to find. I've actually have it. I have it bookmarked. I don't know if it's on this computer I've got with me or not. That they were taking old recordings and they were using new transfer methods to read these old recordings, even if it was a work record or what have Mm -hmm. you, and they were digitizing it as it was coming off and completely cleaning it up, and they had samples that sounded like this originally, Mm -hmm. 
this is how it would have sounded in the 90s if they tried to clean it up, and this is what it sounds like now with their yeah. new laser precise uh, reading instruments, and mm-hmm. it just reads the gro- grooves in, in old records and yeah. albums and that sort of thing. Hello? Yep, we're still here. Sorry you dropped out there. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's important to try to get as much of our cultural heritage as we can. And, and realistically, broadcast is still a very young medium. We're only talking about 100 years. Right. So now is the time to go back and get it while it's still viable and available. Mm. Isn't the idea behind Google Video something along those lines? If it was as altruistic as as I would want it to be, yes, but I don't think that that's really what it's about. No, well, Google's a public company now. They have to report to their shareholders, I guess. Yeah, and, and the only thing I'm really finding on Google Videos is, you know, goofy stuff. It's... Ha ha! Isn't that funny? Pass this video around to link to your friends so they can watch mm. some idiot driving by Best Buy holding an Xbox 360 out the window, going, "Look what I got!" And he drops it, and somebody grabs it and runs. And <laughs> yeah, I saw that. It was, I, saw, I saw that one. Yeah, it, and it was funny, but it's well, it's funny in a what an idiot sort of way. Yeah. But you know, I, it, it would be great to have more historical information out there. I think. Mm. And, yeah, and that they, not, that's what was getting the attention. No. There's not much cultural significance in the Xbox 360, I don't think, in the long run. Probably not. Although, I did read uh, Paul Kent. No, not Paul Kent. Uh, I know his last name was Kent. The History of Video Games. And I found it very interesting. And a lot of it, what was going on in the video game world, politi- politically and uh, and on the consumer side was very much following the trends of society at the time hmm. when uh, you know back, back in the United States back in the late 90s a lot of school killings and stuff like that and the popular yeah. game at the time was Doom and Mortal Kombat mm-hmm. and how they got called the, the video game industry got called into Senate hearings about pandering violence to children so in that regard yeah I think it does because it kind of follows the trends hmm. and, uh, and I also really enjoy watching the slugfest of of fans of the Xbox and the <laughs> Microsoft uh, Xbox, the uh-huh. Sony PlayStation. You know, yeah. if you're a big Sony Playboy or Sony Play, a Sony <laughs> PlayStation fanboy, you hate the Xbox, and the Xbox owners hate the PlayStation, and the Revolution people love everybody, but just leave them alone. You know, it's just yeah. it's so. I just it, thought the the ahead. real hardcore gamers would have all of them. Well, I do, and I, I never understood this. Well, the Sony PlayStation is is better than the GameCube. In what way? <laughs> and, and who cares? Do you enjoy playing games on it? That's really what it comes down to, right? But there's a big parallel between that and um, automobiles, and computers, and MP3 players. There's always that rivalry, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's probably. So when you say it's not significant, probably not, but. You can see trends in almost any industry that can carry over lessons to another. Yeah, so I, I find it interesting in in that respect. So that the history of video games that I that I read was I found very interesting. Mm. That it just kind of it really did follow the curve of where society was at the time. You know, going all the way back to the original creation in the '60s of space war. Yeah, and and the history of video games really does follow very closely the history of computers. It's, Computers become more powerful. This is what's happening. Same thing with games. That's pure entertainment. But as more power comes into the computers, we're doing video editing at home. 
I mean, prime example, do you do much video work at all, David? Not something I've really had uh, much of a look at. One problem is I don't actually have a DV camera. My uh, camcorder is analog. Mm -hmm. So um, it's much harder for me to get the video into my uh, Mac and actually start doing anything with it. So I've not spent a lot of time playing with that. If I'll I'll use myself and you're using um, very sophisticated sound editing programs. I'm using very sophisticated video editing programs. Now, mm-hmm. if you'd have taken my computer back ten years ago, I w- it would have been a multi-million-dollar setup simply because not forget how powerful it is, but I have got an entire movie editing suite, a sound editing suite that would have cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. I can do in GarageBand what you couldn't do ten years ago very easily, and right. And that you would need a multi-million-dollar recording studio to do. Mm-hmm. You don't need that anymore. So, the power of the computers and the the ease of use of these applications are is that's where the revolution is, I think. And that's why everything's changing. Yeah, I have no idea where I'm going with that thought, but yeah. somehow we jump from video no, games I, to <laughs> yeah. But go ahead. Sorry, David. I I think I I agree very much with that, Tim, and I I think that. Apple has a very large part to play in that because a lot of the the things that are used in the movie industry nowadays, uh, I mean Final Cut Pro, um, obviously that's Apple's responsibility. And it's guys like Steve Jobs who've worked in the movie industry through Pixar and have seen the power of this technology uh, when you give it to somebody creative who've said, you know, let's drive this down to the consumer so that um, people can use it. Do you think that's going to lead to a revolution as far as content providers are concerned, that it's not Hollywood that we necessarily turn to with our entertainment dollar and more towards the amateur, everybody's on a level playing field distribution-wise on the Internet? Yeah. If the talent is there. I mean, I've, I've watched some of these um, sci-fi shows that have been created by fans, and technically they're fantastic. They're as good as anything that George Lucas or Steven Spielberg could, could pull together. But where it falls down is obviously the the acting talent is has got to be there as well, and and some of the ones I've seen, unfortunately, it's you know they're 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 having a go, but not not to my mind, they're not as good as as a professional actor. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm to to look at podcasting as an example. I think that you know that has empowered people who want to have a go at it to be able to do it, and um, you know we, we're all out there having a go and. Hopefully, people enjoy what what we do. If if people enjoy the content that guys are creating in their uh, in their homes, then why not? Well, I, I think as as popular as podcasting is right now, it needs number one. There's a lot of podcasts out there, mm-hmm. and chances are, within just a very short period of time, uh, only the best is going to rise up, and the rest is just going to disappear. Because if you don't see a return on your time and passion, as much time as you put into it and hoping that it's going to be popular and that people are going to listen to it, because let's be honest, you don't make a podcast and hope no one listens to it. You want as many listeners as you can. Um, So the ones that don't have the talent are going to go away. So the talented people are going to be left. My concern is, does that raise the bar significantly over a short period of time that if someone else wants to get into it, they really don't have a chance because it's already being dominated by the big 500 podcasts that are already out there that everybody listens to? That's my concern, that it's going to get big too quick and the little guy isn't going to have a chance. So basically you're saying that uh, experience is going to create a barrier to entry for new people. (sighs) 
What do you think, David? Uh, I, I see where you're coming from. The, the problem is, of course, if the, the top 500 podcasts, the, the pros, if you call them, are the ones that the only things you see when you go to the iTunes Music Store and look at podcasts, and it's very difficult to find the small guy who maybe only have a few hundred listeners, it, you know, there is a risk that no matter how good that small guy is, he's, his voice is going to be drowned out. And, of course, that's, you know, that is creating that barrier to entry. See, I, I don't think so. I think you're always going to have people on the bottom side who are always going to be doing a podcast regardless of who's on top. And, you know, they may get discovered. Who knows? I mean, it may be more like, say, more of a Hollywood sort of model where anybody could rise up depending on, you know, if depending on timing and luck to some degree. Yeah, but I think a lot of that mystique is no longer there when it comes to like Hollywood I mean there's very few people that are discovered in Hollywood anymore it just doesn't happen it's all who you know who you're related to it seems a very closed system well it depends on what kind of agent you have too if you have a good agent you can get all that but I I don't think you're ever going to see an agent for podcasting because an agent has to take a cut of the some sort of cut of the actor's money and are you ever going to get a cut from a small podcaster? No, because a small co- podcaster is probably not making any money themselves. Right. And so but that goes back to my point then that the small podcaster isn't going to be able to afford to compete with the big podcasts. And, of course, competition, I don't mean number of listeners. I just mm-hmm. mean um, nobody's listening. It's hard to find. It's, you know. Yeah. But... I don't know. I I don't know what that bodes well for when David does a podcast and when we do a podcast. Whether we just become lost because everybody's listening to David's and no one's listening to us anymore, or <laughs> <laughs> I would rather listen to David's podcast than ours. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, we we appreciate you coming on and uh, having a little fun with us, and uh, we look forward to your next podcast, David. Absolutely. <laughs> It's been a pleasure, guys. Thank you very much. Were you lucky enough to get an iPod for Christmas? If you did, now maybe you need some accessories. This is Dawn from Small Dog Electronics. We're the largest Apple dealer in New England, and we've got iPod accessories coming out of our... Oops. <laughs> we've got a lot of iPod accessories. Like the Small Dog Groove Cube, a portable pair of speakers for your iPod, which cost only twenty nine ninety five. Or the HipPod, a hip-attaching carrying case with external speakers for 25 bucks. Stay warm this winter in a Burton iPod jacket. For the family, maybe it's time for a home theater system. We bundle a Mac Mini, THX sound system, and an LCD projector. It's adjustable up to 300 inches diagonal for only $1,400. Hello, this is Berkey from Small Dog. Check us out online at smalldog.com or come visit us at the Small Dog Showroom in Waitsfield, Vermont, on the way to Sugarbush and Mad River Glen. And now, Not Mac News with Chris Siebel. Not Mac News has been dutifully stalking, uh, following Steve Jobs in an effort to get a glimpse of what Macworld might hold. Info on Macworld proved difficult to come by, but Not Mac News is able to report on the gifts Steve received for Christmas. This year's tally? 27 black turtlenecks, 4 pairs of jeans, a $15 iTunes card, and via Secret Santa, one of those sausage cheese shrink-wrapped deals 
from Hickory Farms. Steve later re-gifted the cheese deal to IBM president Sam Palmasano. Amazon recently noted that its top three selling items this Christmas season in electronics were iPods. When asked about the news, an Apple spokesman said, We are certainly thrilled to make such a significant contribution to Amazon's bottom line. When asked about holiday sales of the Mac, the spokesman said, Do we still sell those? Mostly, we're all about the iPod. Woohoo, the iPod rocks. Baby. End quote. Not Mac News, your only online source for my Mac podcast interrupting Mac-themed falsifications. Serving the Mac community since 1972, I'm prevaricating. Listening to the Dashboard Minute exclusively on the MyMac.com podcast. Hi everyone, thanks again for being here. I'm Guy Searle and welcome to a very special Dashboard Minute. Did you ever hear the expression, it's like looking at a train wreck in slow motion? This week is a virtual train wreck of widgets. You want to turn away, but it's so darn compelling that you can't. These widgets serve no real purpose that I can think of, but someone went to the time and trouble to make them. Don't useless widgets deserve love, too? I'll start off with a widget by someone who goes by the name of Hedgy. This widget ain't hedgy, but it's my brother. Yes, I will be condemned to a special hell for that pun. Maybe I can make up for it by talking about the Sketcher widget. Did you play with Etch-a-Sketches as a kid? I know I did, and what better way to relive those days gone by than with a virtual Etch-a-Sketch? Draw on it using your mouse, put special symbols on it by pressing a key, and erase it by grabbing any side and shaking it all around the dashboard environment. Yes, just like the real thing, but smaller and more annoying. Does that make the bad pun karma go away? No, I didn't think it would either. The Sketcher widget is a 144k download from the Apple dashboard site. Next up, a widget from the SalvatoreScandura.com site called Bryblocks. Again, think back to your childhood and how much fun you had playing with Legos or Mega Bloks. Well, I found a widget that will take you back to your youth whether you wanted to go there or not. All that plastic artwork you made that was eventually destroyed by your little brother can now be recreated in digital form. Every time you bring up the widget, a colored block appears. You can change the color of the block, but not the size. But after all, you know what they say, it's not the size that matters, it's what you do with it. Hmm. Unfortunately, in order to have more than one block, you must start another Bryblocks widget and place it accordingly. Find out the most useless way to exploit every resource your Mac has by calling up hundreds of these, making some blocky forms, and then trying to watch a QuickTime movie. The good news is Bryblocks is only a 16K download from most dashboard sites. 
The bad news is that it exists at all. I'm sure someone out there will thoroughly enjoy this widget. I just won't be one of them. Last up this week is a good one for the holidays. All you parents out there dreading the credit card bills that will flood in next month will appreciate this widget. It's by the deranged folks at the corporate image site, and it's called, drumroll please, thank you, the Lobstores Santa Widget. What exactly does it do? I'm glad you asked. Basically, it's a small screen with a lobster dressed in Santa clothes. Using your mouse, press a space near the bottom of the lobster with a Santa habit. A fuse will light, soon launching said lobster to the top of the widget where he explodes into little shiny white stars. And that's about all it does. Sound like fun? Then you probably need therapy. Find Lobstore Santa and other bizarre widgets mentioned this week at the Apple Dashboard download site, and of course at all other dashboard sites with the same lack of taste. Any questions or comments about the Dashboard Minute? Maybe you have a widget you'd like me to review. If you do, send me email to dbminute at gmail.com. Uh, unless, of course, it's about the widgets I reviewed this week, then don't bother. I know how strange they are. That's it for this week. I appreciate your listening, and I hope next time you'll join me for some possibly more useful widgets, though I make no guarantees, right here on the Dashboard Minute on the MyMac.com podcast. If you're a Mac user and you need a hosting service for your website, why would you want to host your site on anything else but a Macintosh? Anotech has been hosting the MyMac.com website for over seven years, and we wouldn't have it any other way. Are they the cheapest web hosting company in the world? No. Do they offer the largest amount of server space of bandwidth in the world? Of course not. But with InnoTech, you don't get pie-in-the-sky false promises, just the best customer service, the most popular hosting service plans, and everything running on the latest Apple Macintosh server gear. Check them out at www.innotech.com backslash MyMac for special pricing. That's www.inno-tech.com backslash MyMac. InnoTech, the trusted web server of MyMac.com for over seven years. That's like 49 dog years. Uh, a couple things I wanted to go into. Uh, John Nemirovsky, uh, Nemo, yep. sent an email, and um, he writes, You mentioned RSS feeds. Uh, it's, it's for the podcast, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned RSS feed, but what is it, and why is it important to readers and listeners of the MyMac.com text and audio? When clicking on RSS, all we get is a list of active articles. Same as on the home page. Uh, blogs before features. Uh, what's the big deal with RSS? Thanks. And here's what it is. RSS number one stands for really simple, really simple syndication. Mm -hmm. We have two different RSS feeds. We have the main one, and that's pretty much the one that everyone's familiar with. Yep. You can get the pot. You can subscribe to our podcast using a podcasting client, and uh, use that RSS feed that you see the links to up on the main site. And you'll get the podcast. Mm -hmm. You'll also get all the articles that we write, so you can check the RSS feed and, and get all that information. Yep. We have a second one that's only for the podcast. You're not going to see any of the articles or any of the blogs listed there. And that's an RSS feed that I hand code mm -hmm. to be used within the iTunes Music Store. Right. The problem with, with uh, that we have, anyways, with RSS feeds is if you use a special character, say, in the description of a certain article... Mm -hmm. 
say a quotation mark, it can throw off the RSS feed and it won't read anything after that for a long time. Yeah. Sometimes before and not until it moves off the front page and it's not listed anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've had people subscribe to the podcast in the past and they will get something like uh, David Cohen's number 56 London Calling podcast. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they don't get anything until 59. So what happened between those? Well, there was an article that had some special characters that RSS didn't like, and it threw off the whole thing buggy. RSS is very finicky mm-hmm. and very buggy still. Yeah. Um, it, it has a lot of problems. It, so it, rather than take the chance on iTunes not working right all the time, um, working with uh, David Avery, we created a static RSS feed that's really not an RSS feed in that it doesn't read any content on our site. I have to populate it myself. Right. It's kind of a pain in the butt, honestly. Uh, and But that's the, the feed that if you're going to subscribe to our podcast, that's the one you probably want to use because mm-hmm. it's going to work every time. And the address for the podcast-specific, podcast-only RSS feed, if you're using the regular feed at my Mac and you want to switch over to make sure you always get the episodes as they come available is yeah. mymac.com slash mymac.xml so yep. that's what the RSS feed does and uh, it, it's basically a mechanism that we use to drive podcasts out to the listeners as far as mm-hmm. the show goes. RSS is also used obviously for um, you know, articles and, and yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Notes, things like that. Uh, last week I talked a little bit about the. Oh, well, that didn't work. Yeah, it did. Okay, let me jump on the website because I, I want to make sure I get the name right and all that mm-hmm. fun stuff. Um, okay, here we go. Um, the iRock Light Up Keyboard. I got a couple yep. of emails. People saying, "Wow, I, I can't wait to your review because mm-hmm. this sounds like a really cool product." And uh, for those who didn't listen to last week's show, let me briefly describe what this is. It's a a thinner, smaller keyboard than a regular Apple keyboard. Mm-hmm. And it lights up. It has an on and off switch, and it gives you a real nice blue backlight to the keyboard so you can actually see the keys in the dark. Right. And I really think that's a cool idea. Um, one of the problems that I said I had with it is it didn't have the volume keys or an eject key. Right. Well, it does have an eject key. Oh, it does? Yep, and I didn't even notice it. It's the F12 key, which actually works on most Macs, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't so, it? it's yeah, it's similar to what's on the... Uh, but there is an actual eject key icon on that key i just didn't see it uh-huh. so um the folks at uh, irox listened to the podcast and heard me say that and sent me an email saying oh by the way we're it does have that and we're also working on the volumes volume. so cool. I, I think they're probably going to have another version of this keyboard coming out mm-hmm. um i like the design i like the i like the tactile feel of this keyboard mm-hmm. and obviously this isn't a full review we're going to do a video review of it right they thought it was a great idea that I want to film it a little bit in the dark so you can mm-hmm. see the way this keyboard lights up. Yeah. And uh, they seem like real nice people. I've never dealt with them before this, and they seem really cool, mm-hmm. and I really like the product. Another product that we're going to be reviewing pretty soon is from Snazio. It's the Net DVD Cinema A Cinema. I, well, it's got that A at the end. That's capital, capital A. Yeah. So Cinema with a capital A at the end. HD. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got this email a couple weeks ago, um, and it was kind of a blanket email, and it actually went into my my junk 
before I delete it, I usually look through my junk yeah. really quickly. I scan, and it said something like uh, "looking for Macintosh magazine publishers" or something like that. And I thought mm-hmm. that's probably not junk, so I open it up, and it's from this company. <coughs> Excuse me, Snazio, looking for somebody to review their new product. And what it is basically is it it how can I explain it? Uh, let me just read what it says. Okay, on it their, looks like a DVR to me. But. Yeah, and it, but it's not at all. Yeah, and it says Snazio Net DVD Cinema HD revolutionizes the digital media entertainment for Macintosh by presenting the world's first true high definition player, which allows users to access digital content stored on a Mac, photo, music, video, movies, uh, using either Ethernet or Airport Extreme. So. If you scroll down on their site here, like I'm right now, you can see it's got its own user interface. Uh-huh. What you do is you take this, and it's about the size of a DVD player, mm-hmm. and you hook it up to your TV. And if you have an, a high definition TV, you can hook it up through the high definition port, and it will display at 1080i mm-hmm. or 720p. Yeah. And so you get high definition content on the Mac. It it comes with its own um, ability to get on the net and give you RSS feeds. It will actually load up web pages for you, although mm. they don't look all that great. Yeah. And it's really slow yeah. um, going on the net. And uh, it also has its own built-in radio station, so you can listen to all these different... It's just feeds from the Internet that it, right. it subscribes to. And it works for that. But the thing that they're really putting this out there for is that you can access media on your Mac. Mm-hmm. So if you have this plugged in, and you have... And I have an Airport Extreme, so... Right. I hook up the wireless capabilities. Um, it will actually read the videos on your Mac, the photos, and the music. So it's kind of like a media center for the Mac, except mm-hmm. for it's not a Mac. I'm not sure what the price is because I think it's like 200 bucks, 150 bucks. It's not listed on their website, and I couldn't find it anywhere mm. in the in the in the materials that they sent me. Yeah. So I hooked this up for the first time a couple days ago. Could not get it to work. It wasn't reading any kind of service, mm-hmm. anything. I, I don't know why. So I just turned it off, and I forgot about it, and we had the holidays. Mm-hmm. Today, I thought, well, I'm going to turn it back on, see if it's, I don't know, play with it a little bit more. Right. And it just worked this time. Mm. So it actually connected to my G5, and you have to have their software running on the G5. And I think it's it, there's no user interface to their software. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just basically telling their software on uh, the Snazio Cinema HD What's on your Mac? Yeah, here's the. But it has to be display. in your movies folder. It has to be in your music folder. Mm-hmm. Music wasn't no problem because I just put a uh, an alias to my MP3s. Mm-hmm. But it it actually read my iTunes library. Wow! And so I had all my playlists right there, and as far as audio, it worked brilliantly. I mean, mm-hmm. I could select a song and it would play it, but it didn't play my entire playlist. So I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of like, well. I don't want to have to sit here and tell it each time. Yeah. I might be doing something wrong, but I don't think so. Mm. But I only played with it for about a half hour before I came over here to record yeah, the podcast. Yeah, so it's hard to, yeah. It wouldn't play half the videos that were on my machine. Mm. It came back and said, this is an unknown codec. And the problem was, it's just a QuickTime movie. So yeah. I have to look into that. It did play the media files from my digital camera, you know, mm-hmm. my, my handheld camera. Yeah. It read the little videos from those, but it blew it up completely huge on my tv and it was it was skipping it was choppy mm. and it, it was huge pixels i mean yeah. each pixel was about the size of my thumb on my tv so <laughs> it looked horrible 
Um, but of course, those were really crappy media files to begin with. Right. Um, so far, you know, I can't, I can't make up my mind whether I really like this new device or it's kind of a half-baked thing. You know what I mean? Well, you haven't had enough time with it. I think, mm-hmm. yeah. But that's one of the things I'm looking at. Um, quite honestly, I, I've got my Mac Mini hooked up in there as well. Mm-hmm. Not to, not high definition, unfortunately. Right. But uh, it, it's much easier to access all my content on the Mac Mini because the user interface is much more user-friendly. Mm-hmm. I can actually use Windows where everything on this device is menus. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, obviously I need to play with it for a couple of weeks before I can make an intelligent right. decision whether this is worth it or not. But it's something new. Um it does have a, a USB 2.0 port on the front of it. In fact, I'm looking at the picture. That's exactly what it is right there. Mm. Um, it, one of the things that I have noticed that's really ticking me off is when I first turn it on, it defaults to PAL output. Mm-hmm. And well, that's in Europe. So yeah. it looks crap. I want it to go to NTSC. Right. So you hit the TV mode button on mm-hmm. the remote control, and you, you can't do anything with the device without the remote. There's no user interface on this machine at all. Mm. Everything's done with the remote. Right. So you hit the TV mode to switch it to go, and uh, you, you push the button about 500 times before anything happens. Mm. So I found that if I hit the button once and I just wait, it will eventually switch. But it takes about two minutes to switch the input signal right. or the output signal back to NTSC. That's kind of a pain. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, if I'm going to use this every time I have to do that, do I just leave it on the whole time? If I turn it off and turn it back on, it, it goes right back to pale. Yeah. And that's just, I've looked in the settings. I, I can't find any reason why it's doing that. So hmm. I'm, not, I'm not real enthused about this product yet, but like I said, I, I still need to play with it some more yeah. to, to really figure out if it's worthwhile. Obviously, we're recording this the day after Christmas, December 26th. There's just no Mac news at all going on right now. No. So, uh, what did you want to talk about here at the end? Any particular one thing, or I know you're you're talking a little bit about iPods. Yeah, I I know we touched on this a little bit last week with Adam about the iPod Shuffle and the rumor mill stating that there's going to be a new Shuffle coming out, and I'm just wondering what the heck can they do to the Shuffle to make it more appealing. Um, do you think that there's even a market for the shuffle anymore, or do you think it's going to be supplemented completely by the Nano? I, shoot, I, you know, there may be at the low end, I, but, you know, the one thing I think that everybody agrees a shuffle needs is a, some sort of display, and I don't know how they're going to incorporate a display onto a shuffle without making it look like a Nano. Well, wouldn't it make more sense then just to do away with the with the shuffle and come out with a... I don't want to see stripped down version of the Nano, but just a less, um, just one with less memory, less smaller hard yeah, drive. It could be. Uh, it's just flash memory. So I mean, and Apple's got such a good deal on the entire flash memory market mm-hmm. out there. I mean, they pretty much own it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it's going to be uh, difficult to say what's. It'd really have to have a significant wow factor, and I, that's why I don't really know if that rumors can even be. Uh, jumping out of rumors yeah, and looking more into uh, <laughs> predictions, if you will. Mm-hmm. What do you think Apple's going to release? I mean, we're only what, about three weeks away from Macworld Expo at yep. this point. A little less. <clears throat> what do you think the big announcement's going to be, or what? and what do you hope comes out? Well, I think you're going to see uh, definitely the Intel chips in 
probably the mini, one of the iBooks, and well, possibly two different levels of iBooks as far as maybe the iMac. Yeah, you're right, iMac too. Um, I keep forgetting about the iMac because I, I guess for me the iMac is it's nice for most people. I prefer to have a tower because I like the ability to expand my yeah, expandability system. is huge. Yeah. yeah, and and when we say expandability, we don't mean just slapping more. <clears throat> FireWire USB devices on the right. outside of it because that almost defeats the purpose of having an all-in-one computer. If you've mm-hmm. got 20 things stacked up around it, they're yeah. all plugged in. Um, and with the G5, you, you know, you could put an extra hard drive or four mm-hmm. inside of it. And uh, I've, I've been reading press releases. In fact, I posted one up on the site right now yeah. um, from one of our advertisers. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say if the product's great or not because I obviously I've never used it. Yep. Um, what did I call it? I called it a. Got to scroll down. Oh, sponsor blog from Trans International. Uh, yeah, that was two the- terabytes of internal storage for a G5. Yep. Wow, I kind of want that. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a lot, lot of of storage space. Yeah. Um, sure would be nice, but you can't do that really with an iMac. No. But with a with a G5, not a problem. No. Um. Do you think they're going to be demonstrating a live dual boot during the Macworld Expo or not? I doubt it. I don't think they're ready to do that. I think they want to roll that out when the Power Macs come out. Yeah. Um, which will probably be summertime or at least fall. Yeah. I don't think you're going to see a Power Mac any later than fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to be very, very powerful. And yeah. I think that's what's going to take to run multiple OSs mm-hmm. on that machine. And that's yeah. probably where they're going to p- position the G5. It won't be called a G5. It'll be Power Mac, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to position that as probably the flagship in that it's going to be able to run multiple operating systems easily yeah. and quickly. Quickly is probably the, the key. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, each Power Mac will probably have to come with at least a standard one gigabyte just because each operating system is going to mm-hmm. want a half a gig itself yeah. for itself and the applications that run natively under mm-hmm. that OS. Um you know, one of the things, iTunes now allows you to write reviews mm-hmm. on um, podcasts. Yeah. So uh, I read one, and I thought, what? Hey. So let's. I want to jump onto iTunes and go to that real quick. Okay. And we can address it. Do, 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 do. Accessing Music Store. It's going to take a second here to load. <clears throat> Have you noticed my voice is kind of kicking out on me? Yeah. Need another shot of Mountain Dew? Mountain Dew. <laughs> oh, I got to order a pizza here, too. Uh, we've got only two reviews. Mm-hmm. One of them writes, a couple of nice guys talking about Mac stuff in their basement. Actually, no, we're, yeah. we're not in a basement. <laughs> now, sometimes it's very interesting. Other time, Tim just rambles on about not much of anything, <laughs> and Chad mostly agrees. For some reason, I like these guys and would continue to listen, but... I gotta click the button because okay. it ran off. Uh, but I hope they will keep their day jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good idea. Oh yeah, we plan on doing that. We're keeping our day job. And the next one is okay. Once in a while, a good piece of info every now and then, but not as professional as many other Mac Tech podcasts. Very cynical delivery. That would be me, by the way. Yeah. Uh, pessimistic reviews, except for sponsors' products. I don't. I don't agree with that. Uh, yeah, you know, here's the thing. We've never reviewed a... We don't have a sponsor that we've yeah. ever reviewed their product. 
Because Small Dog doesn't manufacture anything. No. <laughs> They're Apple resellers. Right. Hello. <laughs> and, and what other sponsors have we had? I guess they could say that if somebody was giving something away on our podcast that we did a review of. Well, we had, Ram, not a we had Ramjet as a sponsor, but they they don't manufacture anything either. They sell Ram. Yeah, they sell Ram. It's that's kind of hard to. Yeah, this Ram is great, and that Ram over there sucks. You know, mm-hmm. it's we don't review anything from people who sponsor us. So that I think that was very misleading. But you know, mm-hmm. the, people are going to say what they want, and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, it does say, uh, "Was this review helpful?" I'm going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> And the top one was this review helpful? I'll say yes, yes to that one. They yeah. were they were pretty nice. <clears throat> so if uh, you want to help us out, be honest. Go up to the uh, the iTunes podcast directory and uh, subscribe to mymac.com's podcast and yep. write a little review. And if it's if it's bad, that's cool. If if you would like us to do something different, let us know. I know a lot of people are saying, "Man, you guys should do more reviews. Talk about." software more on the show and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and we want to um and we plan on doing more of that we just haven't yet right um a a year is a long time but i quite honestly i don't feel like you and i have really hit our stride yet with the show Mm -mm. um too many times number one i probably have way too much um things i do during the week when it comes to my mac.com to really uh put as much time into the, the podcast as, right. as I should. I don't prepare enough. Yeah. And uh, Chad has a full time job, so obviously he can't spend all day looking up Mac related stuff to talk about either. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe that'll be addressed with other talent in the future. I just mm-hmm. went back to our site and I noticed the Small Dog Electronics has a G5 iMac giveaway. Hmm. I wonder if I'm eligible. They advertise <laughs> on our website, but I'll take a free register win G5 iMac. That'd be cool. Um,. We do still have the podcast PodSafe Four Piece banner up on our website, so mm-hmm. check that out and give generously. Yep. Some of the other things going on up on the website right now. We've got uh, an interview with John Nemo. He's uh, interviewing Daphne Calvin, who, as you remember, wrote the song "I Love My Mac." So she actually sent me an email on December twenty fourth, mm-hmm. thanking us for posting the review, and she sent me a little Christmas song that she wrote. Really? Yeah, that was real nice. I thought cool. that was cool. She seems like a real nice lady and yeah. very talented. Yeah. And uh, she listened to our podcast and thought it was funny to listen to people, which kind of scared me. I thought, ooh, because I was kind of cynical on my first time I talked about it. But, you know. Well, according to the blogger, you know, you're always cynical. Oh, I'm always cynical. So, yeah, that's nothing new. But John mentions in his his review, humming, when you hear that song, you can't help but hum about it. And that is true. I mean, I was humming I Love My Mac for days after playing it. Yeah. Uh, podcast fifty nine. Yep. Uh, thumbnails number five from Donnie Yankelo. Yes, the uh, new Mac Mini. <laughs> the super <laughs> secret plans are revealed. The super secret, super secret uh, media version. Yes. Yep. Bakari has a new review up there from the Kenpo jacket for iPod, which is funny because I had heard about this listening to the Inside Mac Radio guys coming uh-huh. back from Indiana. I was listening to that, and uh, somebody on their show popped up and were was talking about it a little bit and I thought, oh that sounds kinda of cool and I get home and I got a review from it from a car. You know, like, <laughs> wow, we've already reviewed it. Look at that. Sweet. Uh John Farr 
has uh, reviewed Adobe Photoshop CS2. Now, mm-hmm. this is a review that's more geared towards the everyday Mac user yeah. and not the professional. They always upgrade to Photoshop, the latest version, mm-hmm. using it 12 hours a day. That's not you know what every tool does. Yeah. Right. And John doesn't come at this from that perspective. Right. Uh, next one. We've got Cult of iPod, which is reviewing an interview by Neil Monks with uh, Leander Connie. Um, And I'll say right now, if if you listen to our show, was it last week or two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, Chad and I were basically waiting for someone to show up that never did, and that's who it was. Because he was probably doing an interview with Neil Monks. Not Neil Monks, (laughs) but uh, Leander was supposed to be on our show. He agreed to it. He set the time. Mm-hmm. And then he just basically disappeared. Yeah. Uh, I just hope he's okay. Maxpiration <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> number 15. Yep. Uh, iPhoto albums from Donnie Yankelo. How to use, make, an, make an album using your uh, iPhoto pictures. Very easy, but again, if, if you're new to the Macintosh, yep. you may not know. In fact, I had a client that I had to go help... December 23rd, I want to say. Mm. Um, her husband owns a huge construction business, and she's mm-hmm. got an older G4 400 megahertz yeah. Mac that she wanted to have upgraded, so she bought Tiger, and um, she's got a new handheld Palm device that she wanted to work with. And yeah. So I went over there, and I, I was there to like 1 o'clock in the morning showing wow. her how to do stuff. Um, she didn't... When I, I told her, I said, oh, I can upgrade your, your computer to Mac OS X. Is there anything on the old one? that you need she said no well i didn't erase it but mm-hmm. it's not for some reason it wouldn't let me update her version of mac os 9 to mac os 9 1 or 2 hmm. so that machine won't use classic so right. i had no access to the information mm. well after we were all done she told me does that have my contacts list in there in my oh, calendar oh, man. so i spent like an hour trying to rescue it i did but mm-hmm. i yeah but it was kind of nice to to talk to someone who knew nothing about OS X. Mm-hmm. Ha- had been only using Mac OS nine for years and years, and so OS ten was completely new to him. And, and showing her all these new things that Mac OS ten could do, yeah. she just fell in love with the uh, iPhoto. She loved oh, I'll it, bet. and yeah. she was more interested in iTunes at first because she kept hearing so much about iTunes that mm-hmm. now that she's got it and she understands, it's still it's almost overwhelming for her. She doesn't quite understand the difference between a podcast. And and downloading music and so with iTunes, can I just download any song I want, or do I have to pay for it? Well, you, no, have, you have to pay, pay for, for it. it. No. So I had to pay for the podcasts too. Then no, no. those are. <laughs> well, what's the thing about radio stations on iTunes? Well, no, that's totally different. So you know these things can be pretty right. confusing if you've never used it before. So I absolutely love Donnie's articles that brings it down to a new person's level, yep. and we really do need that. Mm-hmm. Um. Bakari reviews blogging in a snap. It's a book review. And uh, that's probably going back far enough, I think. Going up on the uh, blog blog side. side. I haven't even read a couple of these so far. We got Roger Bourne regards to the man of the year, which is talking about uh, Bill Bill and the Gates. Yeah. And we've talked about that on the podcast, that they're doing some really... I think they shared it with Bono. Yep. So that's something to... It looked kind of a... It was an odd picture because uh, Miss Gates didn't look very happy to be... You know, sitting on the outside next to Bono. <laughs> yeah. I thought, why isn't Bill and his wife next to each other and then Bono? Bono. Yeah. Why is Bono stuck in the middle? It looked like a very uncomfortable picture to me. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. They're all doing great work. And mm-hmm. uh, 
Uh, Bakari says, Macworld, here I come. By the way, Bakari, Macworld, the world is not capitalized. (laughs) I used to do the same thing, Macworld with a capital W. It's just one word. The only thing that needs to be capitalized is the M. Yep. And that's not just for Bakari, it's for a lot of other... uh, Actually, there's quite a few Mac writers who listen to this podcast. Mm. Um, Ram, all capital letters, (laughs) R-A-M. Gigabots. (laughs) Gigabots. That was for you, Chad. Thanks. Gigabyte should be GB, GB. capital GB. Um, (laughs) I I think we've got this. I don't know if we need to go through this much. There's there's so many different, um, what's the word I'm looking at, acronyms that we use in the tech industry that it it almost seems like we need some kind of a Bible to to show us how you use these acronyms correctly. Or just a glossary. Yeah. Well, work. but the glossary would be pretty big. I mean, it's it's yeah. you almost need an actual book. And that, I think that would be something that would definitely, somebody should explore getting into acronyms. Mm-hmm. And not just for the current stuff, but going back, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily just how to how to uh, write it, like, you know, mega megabits mm-hmm. or mega this or mega you know it gets a little confusing there's got to be some sort of style guide out there for the tech industry I'm yeah sure. but uh, go a little bit farther though and explain what each one means yeah. because uh just because you can write it correctly doesn't mean you even know <laughs> the correct way of using that yeah. you know so I, I think that for instance i know exactly what the difference between ide and scuzzy is mm-hmm. but if someone just uh, sees scsi Mm-hmm. They're not going to know. A lot of people aren't going to know what that is. Right. You know, what? what's that mean? What's IDE? Well, okay. Uh, it's, it says capital IDE. I don't know if that's a word. or mm-hmm. So need, we need to have some kind of repository where people can go easily and quickly in learning what these different tech terms mm-hmm. mean. Because even people that are new to computers really do need to know some of these terms so they don't get ripped off when they go to a store. Yeah. You know, when you go to a Best Buy or and, and you get some kind of a salesman that says you need this or you need that... If you don't know what the technical terms are, you may not you, know whether you actually need it or not. Yeah, you're if just you go going in, by what you're told. Yeah, if you yeah. go into a, a Best Buy and you tell them you've got a Mac and they're trying to sell you uh, a virus protection software or ad blocker mm-hmm. type of, you don't need that. Right. Well, a virus probably still wouldn't be uh, a bad idea, mm-hmm. but you don't need pop-up blocker on a Macintosh. Right. So if someone knew that, or even what a pop-up is, mm-hmm. some people don't even know what a pop-up is. It happens to them every day on a PC, but they just don't understand what the pop-up is. Right. So we need some kind of a repository of information where new people can go and learn these terms so they're a little bit more knowledgeable when they, they're they mm-hmm. in situations where they need to know that information. Uh, that's a lot of stuff up there on the, uh, <laughs> I like Robin Ru- Owen Rubin's uh, Happy Holidays, damn it, yeah. article. That was pretty funny. <laughs> Um, welcome John Farr back to the Mac writing fold with his, mm-hmm. he said he's going to, he wants to do some more reviews and he wants to write some more about the Mac. So oh, great. He did he, good work. Yeah. Well, he's a fantastic writer and yeah. I've been a fan of his ever since his Apple Inc. days when he first started. So yeah. welcome him back. That's our podcast for this week. Uh, obviously it's earlier than it was, than it usually is. Uh, Chan and I will probably be back at our regular time next week. Uh, because we're early this week, we didn't have a not Mac news. Or a dashboard minute. And uh, we apologize for not giving those guys a heads up. And I kind of did that on purpose because I didn't want Guy or Chris to have to miss any of their yeah. holidays, festival. No. You know, just enjoy themselves. And, yep. you know, we'll be back in a, in a probably a week and a half. And uh, hopefully we'll have something to talk about in the Mac world. A little bit more news going on. Yep. See you, everyone. See you.
Thanks for downloading the MyMac.com podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast at our RSS feed at MyMac.com or by visiting the iTunes Music Store's podcast section. Please send all feedback to MyMacPodcast at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the MyMac.com podcast.